In 1 Timothy 2, we read of some instructions from the Apostle Paul to the young pastor Timothy, particularly concerning women in the church and the relationship that men and women are to have and the work of instruction that is to be done and how and by whom, to whom. It's a very practical book, a practical section. And when you come to the end of chapter 2, the bearing of children is so central to the purpose of woman that Paul ties it to salvation. Saying that women will be preserved through the bearing of children. He continues with an if, an important if. And to be preserved is to be saved. Now, here's the thing. You read that, and it can be very confusing. It can be very, uh, maybe discouraging as well. One of the reasons it can be confusing is because Non-Christian women regularly do the work of childbearing, right? And there are plenty of Christian women that are unable to have children, either because they are not married, or because they are barren, or are past childbearing age. So these are reasons why somebody might be confused And it can be uh, frustrating because it sounds like salvation by works, right? Salvation by works. Woman will be saved through the bearing of children. There's probably nothing better described as work than the bearing of children, right? So what are we to make of what Paul says? Well, let's read it in its context, and then we'll begin to study it. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 15. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children, if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, it's entirely possible that some of you here this morning are frustrated that I would preach on this sermon for Mother's Day, preach on this topic, on this passage, rather, for for Mother's Day. I guess I won't go into why that might frustrate you. I'll just say it's entirely possible. And yet as I was thinking about what to preach on, I thought, you know, our culture loves to celebrate Mother's Day. And I think I've noted in previous 
Mother's Day sermons, which by the way, this is not, but it is a sermon that I have preached before. It just so happens that I preached this sermon the week before, the Sunday before Mother's Day, four years ago, I think. Now, the world loves to celebrate Mother's Day, and yet there's something, there's something very odd about having a, a culture, a society, a country that sets aside a day of the year to celebrate mothers and yet hates more than anything else having children. And I think that that's probably a fair way to put it. Having children is the thing. Not children themselves, right? Having children is what is hated. So if we go back and we think about the passage that we read before the sermon, we go back to the fall and Genesis 2 and 3 and we read of the curse, we realize that there are good reasons for us to uh, think, man, this is terrible about childbearing, right? Because God said that he would greatly increase woman's pain in childbearing. And that, that's terrible. That's part of the curse. Now, I had a professor when I was in college and I was taking Old Testament, which they called Hebrew Bible so as not to uh, be offensive calling it old, as though there had ever been anything new that came afterwards. But anyway, this professor was insistent that the whole idea of a curse being on the human race was just bogus, that it didn't happen, and that if you go back and you read carefully, it says that the ground is cursed, but it doesn't say that man is cursed. You know, so I raised my hand. And I said, I don't know about you. And I looked around and there was a room of grad students. And of course, they were 90% women. And, uh, and I just thought to myself, I, you know, I don't know about you, but increased pain in childbirth doesn't exactly sound like a blessing. The whole class laughed. And he moved on. Well, I tell that story because I want us to be honest, unlike my professor, about what we read in Genesis 2 and 3, right? We need to be honest with ourselves and say, yes, there has been a, a curse placed on the work of women, just like there was a curse placed on the work of men, right? The thing that is central to completing God's command for the man and the woman, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, that work from the very beginning called the cultural mandate, right? That work is what God said, okay, now it's going to be terrible to do. So the, the ground is going to not be easily cultivated. It's not going to easily produce fruit for you. It's not going to be possible for you to easily go and fulfill that command. Like it would have been. To subdue the earth. Now all of a sudden you subdue the earth and then it's unsubdued next week. You know, you, you spray poison even. And you know what happens? Kills it at all, and then it comes back the next week. You, you get leather gloves, and you wear leather gloves because some idiot planted a thorn bush in your garden. Or a tree that has giant thorns on it. Oh my goodness, okay. I remember this from when I was a kid the first time. Trimming, trimming a bush. 
reaching in to grab the stuff and finding, oh, there's thorns on that. This work isn't fun, is it? So you get leather gloves, and then what happens? The thorns go through the leather gloves. Anybody ever had that happen? I've had that happen. It's, it, was that all men? Wait a minute. I don't see those hands again. Has anybody ever had that happen? Okay. Yes. Oh, there's, there is one woman who's also had that happen. Through the leather gloves. Have we experienced the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin in the physical world? in the physical work that we've been given to do. Yes. And the same is true, most certainly, of childbearing. Right? And there's no doubt in any father's mind about this. Throughout history, you go through cultural shifts and you can see the culture, one of the cultural shifts that has come to our nation in the movies. If you go back and you watch old movies about uh, a baby being born, the man is someplace else. Maybe smoking a cigarette outside, right? If you watch a movie today, he's in the room. And that's because a cultural shift has happened, right? And it doesn't matter whether you lived back then or whether you live today or whether you lived through the transition. The men weren't there in the past because they knew it was terrible and they didn't want to see it, right? And then maybe they all forgot because they were never there. And so they came back and they discovered it's terrible. It's terrible. But of course that's only that's only the, the momentary light affliction when taken in its entirety the work of bearing children, is cursed now. I don't mean it's bad, I just mean it's hard. It's hard. It's still good work, it's still God's commanded work, right? But it's, it's hard. It's been increased in pain. Now, here we are. And you come forward to 1 Timothy. And the Apostle Paul is writing. And he's talking about men and women. Men in every place are to pray, lifting up holy hands. Women are to adorn themselves with proper clothing. It's very practical how you're supposed to live. Then he gives instructions about the church and, and the work in the church and how men and women are to relate within the church. Who's to teach? Men. Who's not? Women. Who's to exercise authority? Men. Who's, who's not? Women. And it's, you know... Uh, what would I say? Offensive? Is that the word? To say that today. But there it is in black and white. Not easy to explain away. He gives a couple of reasons. First, that the order of creation... Adam was created first, then Eve. And second, that though they both ate of the fruit, Adam had not been deceived, but Eve had. 
These are the two reasons that he gives. And then he throws in this curveball. Seemingly out of the blue to us, I think, for most of us. Where he says, but women will be preserved through the bearing of children. If they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now that last part, faith, love, sanctity, self-restraint, yep. I mean, those are all just like a a list. We love skipping over lists in our minds. Uh, But at least it's not confusing. We know what those things mean. We can think about them like, okay, yes, faith, yes, faith, love, isn't there another list? Faith, hope, and love? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, sanctity, self-restraint. Okay. Yeah. But what is going on with the first part of that verse? Well, the first thing I want to say is that you, uh, you may have heard somebody say in the past or read somewhere, that this is talking about the birth of Jesus. Because you go back to that, you go back to that promise in Genesis that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, the snake, right? And so that that is speaking of the necessity of childbearing in order for, in spite of the increased pain, right? In order for that son to come. That son, ultimately, the one that he was promising, was Jesus. And Jesus did crush the head of the snake and ultimately will be finally victorious, right? But here's the problem. This verse certainly has reference to that. But it's not talking about the birth of Jesus. Because that was in the past. And this speaks in the future tense. Women will be preserved through the bearing of children. These are the little kinds of things that matter as we're reading scripture, right? Are we talking past tense? or present tense, or future tense. Now, as I said, it does have reference to the promise that God made to Eve that her seed would crush the head of the serpent with his heel. But remember Eve, she had sons, Cain and Abel, and I heard that, Judah. Is that you? Judah's always got the right answers, it seems. He whispered, Seth. Does anybody besides Judah know what, why she named him Seth? Adults are allowed to answer too, although I know you never want to. Yes, zeal. What's that? To take the place of Abel in a, in a yeah, that's, that's part of what she's getting at. Anybody? Any of you adults want to hazard a, a guess? Should I go read it? We'll go read it. Okay, hold on a second. I didn't put it in. All right, here's Seth. Oh, no, I'm in the wrong spot. Verse 25 in chapter 4. You nailed it, Zeal. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. Genesis 
Now, Seth, Cain couldn't be the fulfillment of the promise, right? He was a murderer. He's not going to crush the head of the serpent. Abel couldn't crush the head of the serpent because he was dead, right? So when Seth replaces Abel, what do you think Eve is thinking? This is, this is going to be the son. This is going to be the son. And in fact, all of what we know of Seth and his descendants, these were the children, the sons of God. There was a distinction made between those who descended from Cain and those who descended from Seth, right? Now, Eve, Eve remembered God's promise. And so, she knew she had to keep having kids. Because Cain and Abel were both out. But was it Seth who crushed the head of the serpent? No. See, if 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 First Timothy two fifteen was referring to the birth of Jesus, we could say that the necessity of having children was done at that point. The one that they had been having children for, hoping for this son to come, had finally come. Paul doesn't say, though, woman has been saved through the bearing of children, and finally the child has come. He holds it out as a continuing work that has to happen. And so this verse teaches the continuation of the work of bearing children in spite of the fact that that promised son had already been born. And Paul reminds us of the blessings that have come through that very obedience. And so it is that just as Paul associates all women today with Eve in her being deceived, so he associates all women with the blessing that is promised by God as well to Eve. They partake in the same blessing. So here's what we're left with. You can refuse to identify with her in being deceived. And that's tempting, right? Well, I know Eve was deceived, but seriously? Seriously? Well, he does say that it is the continued reason, right? Okay. 
In which case, if we deny woman's ongoing association with Eve in her being deceived, then teaching, preaching, leading, all these things are fair game at that point, right? The consequences of reasoning are hard to avoid. When you, when you declare Scripture untrue in one respect, you can't hold on to the things that are supposedly good that you may like about that, that flow from it. You lose it. And some people would say, well, yeah, that's the point. We're trying to get rid of it. We want women to be able to teach and lead. And I, and I look around and I think, yeah, there's probably not too many women here this morning who, who want that. But there's probably women here who don't want to be associated with even being deceived. After all, have you looked at their husbands? Which is more likely to happen? Who's more likely to be deceived? That's what that's what we may be thinking. Well, you know. And if, if women refuse to identify with her in being deceived, it goes right along with refusing to identify with her in the pain of childbirth. But here's the problem with that. It sounds good, maybe. Sounds tempting. But it's like trying to celebrate Mother's Day while hating childbearing, right? They just don't go together. You, you, you can't have both. It also means that you must refuse to identify with her in the true blessings of childbearing. And Eve's true blessing in childbearing was not that she was going to bear the Messiah because she didn't. Right? She didn't. Now, prior to Jesus, you can always say, yeah, but it was necessary for children to continue being born, right? And so, she had to have a son in order for there to be a Messiah eventually, regardless of whether she bore the Messiah himself. Which again, fair enough. But what of all of the other women who weren't of the line of Judah? By that time, they knew the Messiah would come from the line of Judah. Right? What was the point of all that childbearing? You have to say, you have to realize, the point of all of that childbearing is the same as the point of all of our childbearing. Because it certainly isn't that the Savior would be born. And they knew it just as much as you know it. You know you're not going to bear the Savior, right? Well, so did all of the women who were having children from the tribe of Naphtali, Zebulun, all of the women of the tribe of, what, which one do you want? Gad? There's got to be a point to it, right? So if we lose the association between women and the mother of all the living, Eve, we lose all understanding of the purpose of life for women. Really. It's, you don't know how you're supposed to live. You don't know what you're supposed to do. 
you don't know why. You lose all of it the moment that you start cutting off and saying, no, 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 I'm not like Eve. And it's not true anyway. You look at your husband and you know he's like Adam. Right? Do you think that he doesn't look at you and think, you're like Eve? Of course we're like Adam and Eve. Jesus even says, from the beginning it was this way, man and woman come together, and what's it like? Well, it's like Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, when they come together. So, the perpetual claim in our society today is that women can have it both ways. That they can pursue, on the one hand, being associated with Eve in celebrating Mother's Day. The blessing of children rising up and calling you blessed. On the one hand, and on the other hand, pursue denying that we're associated with Eve at all. So, no. Uh, I reject the curse. I don't receive that. Right? I, re I reject that her deception has anything any consequences whatsoever for me. And so I deny my association. I do not partake with her in any of the parts that are hard about being a woman. I only partake in the parts that are good about being a woman. But remember, that leads straight into doing away with the identity of woman. Now, identity politics is uh, a popular thing to go on about, right? How, how bad identity politics is. Our identity is to be in Christ, right? Not in what we are. But this is one of those places where our very nature is laid out as part of our identity as male and female. He created them from the beginning. So anyway, the, per the perpetual claim in our culture is that women can have it both ways. And you see this play out in the, in the workplace. What you realize is that women never actually have it both ways. It was only it was only in I think twenty eighteen <clears throat> that a woman senator gave birth while remaining in office. You think, see, we're finally we're finally having it both ways, right? No. Women freeze their eggs, change their career path, sacrifice their child's well-being so that they don't have to change career paths, and on and on and on and on. 
And every, every one of those things demonstrates over and over again, you can't have it both ways. You simply can't have it both ways. Instead of glorifying God by being the glory of man, as God made them to be, these women intend to become the glory of Christ by teaching men and thereby eating the forbidden fruit again. They refuse to identify with Eve in her original purpose and in her redemption. And they insist on identifying with her in her sin of refusing to be content in her position as what God made her. Faithful obedience is different for women than for men in that they were made for different things. And therefore they glorify God in different ways. Woman by being a helper to man, his glory, and man by being the glory of Christ. So what exactly are we to make of this will be preserved or will be saved through childbearing? That's the question. Paul is not saying that women are justified before God by this work, of course. We don't believe in works righteousness. Paul doesn't teach that anywhere, including here. Otherwise, as I pointed out near the beginning, non-Christian women are saved if they give birth, and this is obviously absurd, impossible. It also doesn't even bother to try to make sense of the rest of the verse, which says, if they continue in faith. Faith is necessary. So what is the Apostle Paul saying? The answer is, it is the condition in which woman is saved. It is the condition in which woman is saved. Now, you might not like that, but you have to read the Bible and make sense of it, not just skip over parts that you don't like or that seem difficult to you. But let's open that up. When I say it is the condition in which woman is saved, you could say it like this. Well, you, 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 could, you could see what, I'm, what I mean by that, by thinking of other other ways, other places in which this kind of thing is said. So through hearing the word, people are saved through hearing the word, right? Woman is saved through childbearing. There is a temptation to make true kingdom work one category of things. Okay? True kingdom work, spiritual work, holy work. Okay? And that temptation applies both to people looking at the pastors or the elders and saying, well, they do spiritual work. They have a spiritual calling, but I just, I just go to work. You know, I just sit at a desk. Okay? But it's also the case that that true spiritual work, to treat it as a, a separate category, is a temptation for the women thinking about the relationship of, what it, of, of men and women and what that looks like and how they are to live. So this other category, this true kingdom work is 
things like the study of theology. Right? So very, very important spiritual work. Or the proclamation of the gospel. And see, these things then are put at odds with being a mother. With doing the work of childbearing. Right? There's spiritual work. Studying the Bible. But I don't even have time to read the Bible anymore because I'm having children. And so, clearly God can't expect me to stop being holy and doing the true kingdom work, my true calling, by being a mother. And this is why Paul says, no, look, this is the spiritual work of a woman. This is the state in which she will be saved through the bearing of children. These are not at odds with one another. Calvin explains this beautifully. I'll read you just a couple of sentences here. He says, secondly, whatever hypocrites or wise men of the world may think of it. Wise men of the world, kids, of course, is Calvin saying they're not actually wise. Wise in the eyes of the world only. Whatever hypocrites or wise men of the world may think of it, when a woman, considering to what she has been called, submits to the condition which God has assigned to her and does not refuse to endure the pains, and then I love his, or rather, he says here, or rather, the fearful anguish of childbirth. Pains isn't nearly enough to get at it, is what he's saying. Or anxiety about her offspring. Or anything else that belongs to her duty. Okay. God values this obedience more highly than if in some other manner she made a great display of heroic virtues while she refused to obey the calling of God. When Heidi was at Wheaton, this was the goal of every woman there. To make a great display of heroic virtues without ever giving themselves to being a wife and a mother. They had the the true, godly, spiritual calling. The greater, higher calling. They were going to save the lost tribes of Africa. They were going to bring the end of AIDS. They were going to make sure that people around the world were cared for. You see how this great display of heroic virtue, you can, you can hold it up as such a great and tremendous and amazing thing. It, it's very easy to hold up as a great, tremendous, amazing thing, right? And then therefore to be able to say, and so, you know, childbearing, clearly, I'm made for greater things. More important things, higher things. Or some women are made for that. Those who just don't have enough vision for the grandness of God's kingdom going forth in power. This is what I mean when I say it's temptation to make true kingdom work one category of things 
and put those at odds with being a mother. This is what Calvin is saying when he says, hypocrites may consider it foolish for a woman to submit to the condition which God has assigned to her. But it's better when she does that duty. Now, it's also entirely possible for women to give themselves to that duty, but without faith. Remember what the verse says, if she continues in faith. If she continues in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. It's possible for women to give themselves to the work of being mothers, but without any faith. The worst sorts of idolatry of motherhood are those that will seek it outside of marriage. Think of the absurdity of seeking to be a mother without being married. I am going to be a mother. You can go save Africa if you want. I am going to be a mother. Father or not, here I come. This has always been a temptation for women of faith. Even Abraham's wife Sarah did this. And by the way, I'll just add as a side note here. It is a mistake to look at the men and women of the faith who have gone before us, in particular the men and women of the Old Testament who are held up as examples to us, positive examples, such as Abram and Sarah, right? I mean, they are clearly held up as positive examples for us. It is a mistake for us to look back at them and just judge them as idiots, right? But I think it's probably a worse mistake to look back and try to justify everything that they have done and say, oh no, that was good too. Oh no, that was good too. Oh, they, they did everything good. And I warn you about this because this is a danger among Reformed people swinging away from looking in judgment on those Old Testament figures and thinking, oh, well, they were just ignorant, stupid people back then. Reformed people who have come to love the Old Testament and love those Men and women of the faith, the, the heroes of the faith who have gone before us that are laid out in Hebrews, for example, can swing the other direction and, and be like, oh no, Jacob was, Jacob was all right. Abram and Sarah, man, yeah, you know, you're misunderstanding. They were being faithful. No. We've got to be able to see their sins for what they are. And Sarah was being faithless in this. So, it's possible for women to give themselves to the work of being mothers. The work that women are given by God and called to, but to make it happen without faith. Those who are not married or who are barren are not prevented through the lack of physical children from, from being described by this verse. Okay? 
And that's one of the things that you may be tempted to be frustrated by. What about all the women that aren't able to have children? Are you saying they can't be saved? No, of course not. Paul's not saying that. Either in faith, love, and sanctity with self-restraint. <laughs> or in being saved through the bearing of children. Now that's, where we, that's where we might struggle. But though the children may not be your own, still you can give yourself to the care and attention to children that is appropriate for your sex. And still more, the work of bearing children is not just physical, but spiritual as well. And this brings us to one of the biggest temptations for Christian mothers. There are those who pursue this work without continuing in faith. I said it's possible to pursue this without faith. It's also possible to start out pursuing it by faith and then to run out of faith. To not continue in faith. Often this looks like living in fear of what might happen to your children. Or demanding that there be some way for you to guarantee the outcome. Now, there's a lot of ways that we can seize and hold on to to, to attempt to guarantee the outcome. And let me talk to the men for a second. <clears throat> Maybe it'll be a help to you in seeing what I'm talking about. But men have particular outcomes in mind as well. Right? So, if I'm, since I have it on my mind, thinking of Wheaton, I've spoken negatively of the women there, but you probably be more disgusted when I tell you that the men, it was not uncommon for them to go to a woman and tell her, God revealed to me that I am to marry you. That's one way to guarantee the outcome, right? Or to attempt to guarantee the outcome. Because guess how often that worked? What a joke, right? Now, can, can men attempt to guarantee particular outcomes, but not by faith? Was that faith? Come on, give me a break. That's not faith. There's a lot of ways that we, that we use to do this. Some men attempt to guarantee their particular outcome by becoming preppers. Not men and women can do this, but some men become preppers in order to guarantee a particular outcome, right? Save up a certain amount of food, save up a certain amount of water, save up a certain amount of ammunition, a certain amount of guns, save up a certain amount of electricity, save up a certain amount of money, save up a certain amount of gold, save up a certain amount of Bitcoin. I'm going to guarantee my outcome one way or another. Right? How do women attempt to guarantee the outcome? Well, it's, it's interesting. The differences in emphases that God has given to men and women play out in how the different things that they try to do without continuing in faith. Among women, it is more common for the faithless seeking to guarantee a particular outcome, the outcome focuses on the children. Because after all, they have given themselves to the utmost to bearing that child, and nobody wants that work to be in vain. 
I want that child to live. And I don't care what you want, God. That's what I want. And so from before birth, faithless grasping of the outcome is a temptation for Christian mothers, right? I'm going to do it by what? What? How can you guarantee the outcome? Now, right now, I know you all go, well, I can't. But that doesn't mean that you don't try it, right? Sometimes it's dietary. I'm going to follow the right diet. But you know, it's funny how often these come in groups. You've got this whole category of, well, let's, let's, let's make one of them uh, the crunchy category, okay? You've got, there, there's, it's not, just, it's not just the kind of food, right? What goes with it? You've got to follow all of the rules of the whole system if you're going to guarantee the outcome. So, it's what you eat. It's what you feed to your children. It's... It's how you wrap them. It's what, it's what cloth you use, what material, what fiber, sorry. Get this straight. Yes, I'm laughing at you. I'm sorry. Which fiber you choose isn't going to make any difference. Well, but it's healthier. Okay. Are you going to guarantee the outcome? got to follow the co-sleeping requirements, right? And the front and back thing too. I don't know how that works when you're co-sleeping, but you got to follow all of the rules if you're going to guarantee the outcome. That's not just what you eat. Also, by the way, remember, it's what you eat from. I want you all to realize guaranteeing the outcome for your children is impossible. It's truly impossible. It doesn't matter whether you get your child communing at six months It doesn't matter whether you think you can parent the right way by being super strict or by being super nice. It's entirely possible to be faithless in discipline and not to discipline, right? That's obvious. Is it possible to be faithless and therefore think, that you have to be so strict. You you get what I'm saying? That, That you have to accomplish through your discipline what only God can accomplish. Discipline is one of the means that God uses to accomplish things. Don't get me wrong. It's possible, though, to do good things faithlessly. Saving is good, right? Preppers know how to save. Most preppers don't have any faith as they save. You get what's going on, right? There are a million ways of us seeking to guarantee the outcome. 
So here's what I want you to leave with. If you give yourself to the bearing of children by faith, it is a long and painful process. It doesn't end when you're 50. It doesn't start when you get married. This is the work of being a woman like Eve. And it is long. And yes, it is painful. But in the end, it leads to learning to love. It leads to putting fear behind you. It leads to being self-restrained and sanctified. It is the way of salvation for a woman. Nowhere else will you learn and grow like you do in this work. Nowhere else. And it doesn't matter how many refugees you save. It doesn't matter how many countries get clean water because of you. In the end, now I forgot her name. What, what's the book you're reading? Yeah, Amy Carmichael. In the end, in the beginning, Amy Carmichael thought that her work was the great and glorious, holy work of spreading the gospel. But in the end, God made her a mother. And that's where she was sanctified. And that's where she learned to walk by faith. A mother to hundreds of orphans. Can you imagine? You think it's hard with four kids. Try it with a hundred, alone. No wonder she grew in faith, huh? No wonder. And that's, that's what Paul is saying. That's where you'll learn to love. That's where, that's where you'll learn sanctity. Self-restraint. Because nothing will, nothing will push you to lacking self-restraint like a child. On day five of being alone without your husband home, you'll start to twitch. And you'll think, I hope I have a little bit of sanctity left. Don't be afraid. God has made motherhood and he did not make motherhood bad. It was only when there was an Adam and an Eve that it was very good. Because then there could be children. And yes, then came the curse and boy, does it suck. What's our work? Being holy in the work we've been given to do. So mothers, don't be afraid. Walk by faith. God has given you this work. And it's good work. And yes, it's hard and long and there is no way to guarantee the outcome. You must walk it by faith. Trust in God. Today, we've almost lost track of the fact that bearing children is at the risk of death. Because, praise God, we've made it safe. Right? 
But gradually it occurs, sometimes more rapidly. It occurs to all of us. Huh. There's risk of death here. That's scary. I guess I have to trust God. That's the only way you go. Not, I don't accept that. It's, once again, I guess I have to trust God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gift that you have given Eve, woman, mother, Father, where would we be without mothers who faithfully feed us and teach us and discipline us and pray for us? Father, where would your church be without this spiritual work of raising up a godly seed as you have commanded? Give us strength and faith in the work. Grant these women, Father, to be joined to this work without fear, by faith, continuing in love and sanctity and self-restraint. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.